This is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that will change my life forever. Praise God. Well, I am preaching on joy today. Can you just say joy? Give me some joy. Oh, Lord, you are joy. And you know what? We need to remember this. God is for your joy. God is for your joy. This matters to him. And I know even looking out across this room and even taking phone calls and pastoral care needs in the body of Christ, even just friends and family, I know that a lot of people are facing sorrow, right? There's a lot going on. You can go talk to anybody and you just hear, even if it's not directly happening to them, someone they love is facing something really challenging. Things are hard and there's potential for a lot of sorrow. In fact, we're going to break open the scripture right now. We're going to be in Isaiah 54. And here in the book of Isaiah, in this chapter, we find joy in the most unlikely places. And in this particular text, we find three scenes of intense human sorrow. And here today, as I'm reading these out, you might identify with one of these places of great sorrow. So first off, in a verse 1, we find the barren woman. First scene of intense sorrow. It says there in Isaiah 54, verse 1, Sing, O barren one. Who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor. Being a barren woman in ancient times was a great pain and a very big sensitivity. In those days, family was the key to survival. Your family was the key to your survival. And land, having land was so vital in these days. And if you had land... You needed people to work the land. So families would have children and they would have lots of children. That wasn't the only reason just to have your kids to work the land. But that was one of the reasons that they would have children and they would have lots of children because kids would die young from all various um, things in those times. So you didn't have just kids, but you had lots of kids to work and tend your land so that you could be prosperous and you could essentially survive. So to be a barren woman would mean you were poor and very desolate. So this was a big deal. So talking about a barren woman was a great sorrow. The second scene or second thing um, of intense human sorrow is in Isaiah 54, 6. It says, for the Lord has called like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. So we see a deserted wife. So here you're imagining you're, you get married young and you're all excited and you've fallen in love. And then shortly after the wedding, this person begins to lose interest in you. And they say, actually, I don't really love you. And I actually don't want to be married to you. And they leave you. And so there we have this place of great sorrow, this young wife deserted, it says, and grieved in spirit. She was rejected. The third scene of intense sorrow that we have in Isaiah 54 talks about in verse 11, the afflicted city. 
It says, oh, afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted. This is talking about the afflicted city that's been ravaged by storms. And we know about these things. We've had hurricanes and flooding and an earthquake in Turkey. I mean, did you see the imagery of that? Can you imagine being a family whose home is utterly destroyed by your city just being ravaged by a storm? Even more so, symbolically, the cities or the city center is where people would go to earn what? Money. So there's the city is representative of the pressure and the toil and the affliction of just that labor to earn and produce and provide and have money. So these are three images of intense sorrow. A city slashed by storms, homes ruined, and more than just storms of weather, like I said, but storms of pressure to provide and money being earned in those types of things. And so the choice of these three situations in Isaiah 54 is significant. You want to know why? Because most often people are prone to seek our happiness in one of three places. Our children, our marriages or relationships, or our money. And these are the places that we naturally pursue to give us life and joy. They're wrapped up in these areas. That's why when our kids go off the rails, I mean, just to be more often than not taking um, phone calls from people in sorrow and distress, it's usually about something with their children, something going on in their marriage relationships, just a brokenness there, or something about money. I mean, there's other sorrows, but isn't that interesting that Isaiah paints this picture of these three scenes of intense sorrow? We have the barren woman, the afflicted city, and also the deserted wife. So Isaiah, here in chapter 54, sees joy in the most unlikely places. What does it say the barren woman is doing? Singing. She is singing. In verse 1, she is bursting forth in song. She's not just humming. She is bursting forth in song. The deserted wife, in verse 6, is finding security. She is knowing she is loved. What's happening to the ruined city? It talks about that city is being rebuilt. This is the kingdom of God. That though you might see these places of intense sorrow, for the people of God, for the children of God, there is a solution. There is a way. There is something happening beyond your current sorrow. There is something more evident than your circumstance in these situations. And this is talking about the joy of the Lord, no matter what you're facing no matter what you're facing. Basically, Isaiah 54 and the next chapter, 55, are a unit together. And if you follow this text through, the word of God is so beautiful. It is so good. You follow it through into chapter 55, verse 12, it says this. It says, to the people who have great sorrow, the barren woman, the deserted wife, the afflicted city, it says, and you shall go out in joy, and you shall be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. How can these people 
With this great sorrow, find this great joy. Well, it says the barren woman says she's going to have more children than the woman who can bear children. Do you know it says that in the text? How is she going to get these children? What's going to happen here? God brings her a community of people and she has more children than the woman without who can bear that God provides for her a community of people to love her and to have children that aren't even her children. This is the family of God. This is how he does things. You're in my family. Oh, I'll care for you. I'll bring you love and strength with children you didn't even bear. What does it say about the deserted wife? How does she find this joy after her trauma? She says she is not put to shame because that can feel like a shameful experience. And God secures her, for her maker is her husband. This is what the word writes, praise God. What happens to that ruined city? What happens to that pressure place where you're trying to earn money? God says, I'll rebuild that city. I'm gonna do something there. And he says, I'm not rebuilding this city with brick and mortar. The Bible describes this city is being built, I mean, guys in construction, You have never seen a building project like this. They're talking about this city being rebuilt with quartz and turquoise and sapphires. This is God. Isaiah, in a sense, is speaking about this joy that awaits you and I in the place he's going to prepare for us. And we, as we await the return of Christ as believers, do you know that there's coming a day and you don't know when that hour is? It says the Lord is going to return with 10,000 times 10,000 angels at his right and his left, and he's going to be seated. And then there's going to be the sheep and the goat judgment, where he is going to have everyone gathered. You think you know celebrities? Everyone will be at the sheep and goat judgment. If you think you are somebody and you don't have Christ, it is nothing for you. When you're in that presence of God, and he begins to say, the sheep, he'll say to the goats, well, I didn't know you. I asked you to love me. You didn't respond to me. You didn't listen to me. Go, you're separated. And to the sheep, he said, you, I asked you to do it to the least of them. You did it unto me. Enter into your rest, beloved ones. Can you imagine this? I mean, if you, some days you could literally just wake up as a believer and say, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and just meditate on what you've been spared from, the wrath and judgment that should be yours that Christ paid for, that should just make you like the most joyful person in any room. I I don't know what you want. I don't know what you think this world has. Everything in Christ is better and richer and more wonderful and just meditate there. I'm in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, my name. He has my name. He knows my name. He's gone to prepare a place for me, but that's not just enough. He has prepared a place for you, but the joy awaits you now. He's not waiting for that moment. He has it available to you now. That joy, the beginning of that joy is already ours. And also, there is no ration. There is no limit to the supply of God's joy for his people. It's not like, oh, I get a little trickle. It is unlimited. Blessing upon blessing is available to us. Joy is one of the vital gauges. If you imagine a dashboard and you see your car is running towards empty, 
Joy is one of the vital gauges on the dashboard of the Christian life. When the needle dips, you need to look out. When you're beginning to lose your joy, you should take note. You are safe when you're in the joy of the Lord. And if you are losing your joy, you are not safe. You are prone to temptations and things you do not want to be prone to. You must foster the joy of the Lord. Well, how do I get the joy of the Lord? You're in Christ and he's in you. It says the kingdom of God is peace, righteousness, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So if you have the Holy Spirit on the living, on the inside of you as a born again believer, this is your identity. You should be the most joyful person in any room. And if you're not, I would say you're not safe because you're prone to just complain and grumble. And honestly, it's a danger zone to be a joyless believer. I'm sorry if I'm getting in someone's business. You can send your complaints to Carl McCauley at solidlives.com. No. He loves to hear from you. No, that's, not really, that's not really his email, but... Jesus himself connected our daily spiritual life with joy. John 15, 10 says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The Lord loves a joyful family. I tell you what, There is no greater joy or glory to a father than his children loving to be a part of his family. It brings us so much joy when our kids just are excited to be part of our family. They just love what we're doing and love what we're about. And even kids coming around being just wanting to be around our family. And the father is the same way, our heavenly father. When you have joy being in the family of God, when you're grateful for your spiritual inheritance and you are honoring the Lord with a joyful expression, that blesses your father. So how do you think he feels? I think he takes all complaining and grumbling personally, just like I do when my kids do it, right? I'm like, you are, why are you so sad? I provide all of this. I have food and shelter. I go to such great lengths and you're still complaining? That hurts me. Any parents in the room, you'd like do all the things. And then they're still like, well, I don't like dino nuggets. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. No. Philippians 4 is a beautiful passage. Paul is writing to us from a prison. And in this command, the Bible says in Philippians 4, rejoice In the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. He has to say it twice. None of the other commands. Do not murder. Again, I say, do not murder. No, we got you the first time. That's We got you. But this Philippians command Paul is writing to us, he says, rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Oh, we don't know. Do not be anxious about anything. That, that's not like, doesn't have like terms and conditions to it. Like, well, you can be anxious because your situation, that's a little extreme. No, he tells us all through, do not worry about your life. Do not be anxious about anything. 
Yet we have this kind of sense like that's optional. I don't know if I can go the rest of my life without being anxious or worrying, but imagine if you tried. Imagine if you didn't worry about anything until Jesus came back and got you. And you, you would be the most joyful person. And that, but we don't act like that. You know, we think, I don't know if I can go the rest of my life and not be worried or anxious. You think people say, it says, do not murder. You think someone's like, I don't know if I can go the rest of my life without murdering. No, you know you can do that. You're not going to murder anyone, right? But yet we come to this and we think rejoice is too nice of a word to be a command. This is a command. If you read this and think that need not apply to me and you go about your business, that is sin to us to not rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And some of us, that's our problem. We don't have strength because joy, joy is a key to strength. The joy of the Lord, it talks about in that in Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is, is your strength. It's a key. It's not the only key to your strength, but I would start there. If you're losing strength, if you're feeling weak, when's the last time you just began to thank the Lord? Oh, sorry, guys. I just, I just went there. God wants his children in joy. We love when our kids are joyful. In fact, can I share a little story with you? Um, one of our sons, Harrison, um, signed up and is playing flat, was playing flag football. Anyone ever play on a flag football team? It is so fun watching this team. So at the beginning of the season, I wasn't there when my husband, Joel, made this promise to the team. But he told all the boys on the team, if you guys go undefeated this season, I'm giving everyone 20 bucks. So there's like 12 kids on the team. So, okay, so we're thinking... I mean, they've never played together as a team. This team's previous season, new players came on. They went, they won one out of like 10 games. So maybe Joel felt like the odds were in his favor for the payout. But he really does believe they'll win. He's, and Joel is, my husband is a, just a magnificent man, magnificent father. So anyways, he, he huddles all these boys up and he tells them, you win, go undefeated this season. I'm giving you 20 bucks. So game one, they win. Game two, they win. Game three, they win. Game four, they win. I mean, and all these boys keep saying like, we're gonna get money, you know? <laughs> game five, they win. Last weekend was game six and seven, back to back. If they won game six, they go on to game seven. They win game six and they win the championship. So before Joel went to the the field, we were at home. I said, you better go to the ATM. <laughs> you better get some money because you know these boys are expecting like some payout at the end of the game. Uh, we have a video. I want you guys to see Joel paying out the boys real quick. Yeah. Maverick! Yeah. 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 
I just wanted you guys to see. See the joy on these boys' faces? But here's the thing. As they were, the kids were leaving the field, I heard a couple kids saying to Harrison, our boy, man, I want your dad. Man, I want your dad. And some of them come from extremely broken situations. So they weren't saying like, I don't like my own dad and I want your dad. But they could tell there was something happening that made them want to be a part of our family. They're like, what is this family? And I feel like us, for the body of Christ, the joy we exude is going to make people say, I want your dad. Who's your, who's your father? What's this family you're a part of? And if we're not bringing that kind of desire, if not, we're not evoking that in the places we go. It's like I tell people, are you a Christian? Well, tell your face. Tell your face you're saved. Tell your face you're, you're saved because people don't know. Joy is our identity as believers. And if you're sour and negative and not full of the presence of God, no one's going to want your dad. No one's going to want to know whose family you're a part of. But you know what else was so neat about this thing with the kids and the, the payout? was um, a couple of the other dads on the team had kind of told Joel, like, hey, if you do it, like, I'll bring money too. No one else brought money. And one of the boys was like, my dad said on the way, you ain't, you're not going to win. You're not going to go undefeated. You didn't even believe in him. But here's the thing. Joel modeled for this crew a man who keeps his word. And so they know, like he was faithful to his word. And the Lord, he's been that way with us. He said, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna die on the cross. I'm, I'm gonna do this for you. And because he was faithful to something like that, you can count on him to be faithful to every other promise and every other word. The foundation of that is that he kept his word to you. He went all the way to the cross so that we could walk in the spiritual blessings that he's provided from, from that. Amen? God is so good. Most people you meet, and even us sometimes, derive our peace and joy really from control. It's not from um, true peace. It's just that I have control over the situation. I got enough money in the bank. I know this is going to work out because I've done all this to control the situation. But I'm telling you, you don't know peace and joy until you realize I have no control, but I'm ultimately trusting that God knows everything, every detail, and he's got things in the works. The Bible says in Isaiah, before they even call, I'll answer them. When you know God on this level, he's a good father and you can trust him. You don't need to control every situation and have fake peace. You can have real peace, joy in the midst of sorrow. You ever met a joyful Christian going through hell on earth and they just are at peace and joyful? That is such a revelation. And the Lord knew this brings me glory this brings me glory to see you processing this sorrow with such confidence that I'm going to see you through. Amen. He is so wonderful. My peace and my joy is not in control. It's in confidence that God's got me. He's going to be faithful to his word. In Psalms 23, you know, our boy David, oh, this guy is radical. Just read through the Psalms and just Bless your face off. Psalm 23, 5, he says this. He says, yea, though I walk, help me, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is David writing that. Then down in verse 5, he says, you prepare a table for me 
in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Then he goes on to say, my cup overflows. Do you know the cup is overflowing with joy? That's what the cup represents. I know we get all sorts of things thinking it's like money. I don't need a cup to overflow with money. That's a low level. If you think that's where your joy comes from, like Pastor Jonathan said, you got to taste and see of something deeper. Oh, money, he'll add, he could do it, anything he wants to do to care for you. But don't base it there. Your foundation is on something that can't, doesn't go like this. Your foundation is Christ and Christ alone and his goodness. So here, this joy, this cup overflowing. You know, we oftentimes, you ever heard this beat down version of Christianity that kind of says like, well... In this life, you're going to have enemies and there's going to be such trouble. But if you'll just hang on, get through it, one day you'll go to heaven and it'll be all over and you'll finally get to enjoy life. No, that's not what David is talking about. He's not saying life stinks. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but my cup. No, this is real. He is saying, I have plenty of trouble. Oh, I have things pressed on every side. Listen to David's rap sheet of trouble. His life, you got to take it from a guy who's been through it when he writes, my cup overflows. He says, my life was an unrelenting battle. I was a shepherd, a hunted fugitive. King Saul's after me. He inherited as a leader a lot, a deeply divided kingdom, rival tribes, resentments, divisions. Later on in his own family, torn apart by cycles of abuse, uh, violence, and death. And later on, he even had to flee for his own life because his son, his very own flesh and blood, raised a rebellion against him. And yet he's saying, my cup overflows. He's saying, oh, sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. He understood something that he is trying to bring to us through the scriptures. He's saying, even with present dark valleys, you can say, my cup overflows. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. 10 out of 10. Don't think it's, oh, it's because, I mean, sometimes you have trouble because it's sowing and reaping. But I'm not talking about that. I don't even want to get into that. But even in this life, even when you're walking in righteousness and honoring the Lord and obeying him, you'll still have trouble. I currently have things that are very challenging in my family. My mom has early onset dementia. It's very sad for me. And sometimes I'll give myself a day where I'll just have a moment and I'll just grieve and I'll even weep because I miss her because she's not the same and I'm there with her, but, but she's just different. So I'm grieving who she once was. You know what I mean? That's deeply troubling for me. That's very sorrowful. She was one of my closest companions, you know? And so to, I'll tell her, oh, I had to go to the dentist for the kids. And usually in the past, mom would call me the next day. How'd the dentist go? I don't get those calls. There's no follow-up. It just is what it is. So that's deeply troubling. So I'll give myself a moment. I'll give myself a day even sometimes to just sit under the weight of that. But when the morning comes, I don't give it two days. I have trained and disciplined myself to cultivate joy in my heart. And I am so glad that my mom is born again. So this life is just a pass-through and I'll be with her ruling and reigning 
in glory one day. And that's why we got to have this joy. So people will look at us and go, tell me about your father. Who's your dad? I want to know what this family is like. I want a part of that. So praise God for that. David could teach us something about that joy. It's not a life stinks, but heaven's coming. He's saying you can have this joy, this present joy in the midst of troubling circumstances. This says Jesus, he was the most joyful man in any room. Joy beyond all his companions. And God wants us to be like that. The kingdom of God is an overflowing kingdom. It is not just a, a little trickle, a little ration of, of joy. No, this is abundance. You know, even in the scriptures, when they use language, we can learn a lot from the scriptures. When Isaiah talks about God's forgiveness, this is the words he used. He says, not only will he pardon you, he will abundantly pardon you. That's lavish. It says in the Psalms, not only will there be redemption, plentiful redemption. And we imagine he talks about life. He says, I came to give them life, not just basic life, life more abundantly. This is the kingdom. This is the way it's supposed to be. When the prodigal son came running home on that road, he didn't get met by his dad. Well, you finally thought you'd come on back now that you're hungry and here's a bag of nuggets. No, he ran out to meet him with the ring, the robe. And then he says, we're eating the fattened calf. We're having a good feast because my son has come home. This imagery in the scriptures is not for you just to read through like this is some ancient fiction. This is for you and I, because I don't know about you. There are times when I just need to remember that my God is like this. When it just feels like pressed on every side, this is the kingdom. This is how he is. He went to such great lengths to show his love for you. I want to describe that just for a moment. We have the Psalms with David describing his cup overflowing. And then we have in the scriptures a cup that Jesus talks about. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's saying to his own father, Jesus says to his father, if this cup can pass from me, Please, if there's any other way that I could get through this without having to take this cup, let there be another way. But if not, not my will, but yours be done. And you know what that cup was full of? That cup that Jesus took down, it says in Revelations 14.10, that cup was full of the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He hates sin. It says, and that is the cup Jesus was given. Listen to this. What must drinking a cup like that feel like? Because he's so good and because he's the good shepherd and the Lord laid our iniquity on himself. He bore our sins in his body. The wrath that should have been yours and mine fell on him. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so you can drink the cup of God's blessing. God holds a cup in his hand. His cup has your name on it, my name on it. But before the cup reaches your hand, the good shepherd took it. And he said, I'll take that. He says, if this cup may pass, let it pass. But if not, I'm taking this from them. I don't want them to drink that cup. I'll take that cup on their behalf and I'll give them back a new cup. 
He offers you a new cup with your name on it. And in that cup flows spiritual blessing, blessing upon blessing, righteousness, joy, peace. This is what we get. This is the great exchange that God took our sin and bore our punishment so your cup could overflow with his blessing and goodness. If that doesn't wake you up in the morning, you need to ask God to give us a revelation of how good we have it from the foundation. David said, my cup overflows. And I would say today, my cup overflows. Why do we need this joy? You'd be saying, what's the big deal? What does it matter if I'm in joy or if I'm having a bad week? But some of you have been having a bad decade. (laughs) And it's got, it changes today. We're hearing the word. This is the word that cuts. This is the word that reminds us, I have commanded you to rejoice. No more with that grumbling and complaining. I want you to enjoy being a part of my family, the Lord says, and enjoying the blessings that I purchased for you to walk in. We need joy because it's a key to strength. Anyone need to feel strong? The world is wild out there, right? Things are going on and we need the strength that comes from joy. Joy is a key to strength. It's not the only key, but it is a major key. And I'm going to close with this final story out of the book of Nehemiah in chapter 8. In this chapter, there is a revival in progress. Things are happening. And Ezra and some of the scribes there are reading God's word over the people from dawn until noon. They're just reading the word. And as they're reading the word, the standard of the law is hitting the people. They're recognizing how much they've fallen short, how much they failed to uphold the law and live that way. And it says that the people are just beginning to mourn and weep because they're realizing, I don't measure up. This, I've really fallen short of this standard. And as they're mourning and weeping, Nehemiah and Ezra and other leaders begin to tell them, Stop. Why are you crying? Why are you mourning? We're telling you, the leaders tell them, we want you to not be grieved. We didn't read this over you for you to be grieved and come under this heavy weight. We wanted you to know this is the the standard, but we want you to go out and celebrate because the word of God has come near and something is breaking forth and it's gonna be awesome for you guys, the joy of the Lord. It goes on to say that there in the text. It says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I could almost understand the people in this situation. You ever been there when you're rehearsing maybe past sins, the life you used to live, the enemy just will like rise it up and throw it in your face. And, and he's just, you, who do you think you are? This is the adversary. You're not worthy of this kind of redemption. You'll always be a loser. You'll, you know, this kind of talk. And so we can almost come under this kind of like, well, if I'm sorrowful, this will show God that I really meant this. And there is repentance. But even with repentance, it says, just turn. You don't need to be weeping and crying and going, rehashing this. Just turn. So that's what's happening. And the leaders tell the people, stop crying. This is what we want you to do. This is your doctor's orders. Go out 
and rejoice. Go out and feast. Go out and learn the songs and sing the songs and and enjoy life. This is what we're asking you to do. The joy of the Lord. They go on to say, that's going to be your strength. And you want to know, this group of people built, they were rebuilding. This group of people built in 52 days what couldn't be done for lots and lots of years. I would beg to say that they captured something. They practiced joy. They cultivated joy amongst them. It reminded me of when I was growing up, my parents were missionaries in Stockholm, Sweden. They were sent over to Europe we, I was born there. Some of my siblings were born there. And um, those were beautiful days, but hard days. My parents didn't have necessarily like a paycheck. So it would just be whatever um, was given to the missions organization, kind of like what Pastor Zach and Anthony were showing us, like what comes in to fund these ministries is what comes in. There's no guarantee. There's no like, we'll spot you if it all doesn't come in. This is just a life of faith. And my parents lived this way. And I remember when I was older, my dad describing he would walk to the mailbox and his hand would be trembling because he was just, is this going to be enough to cover my family? And God was always faithful, but he was just sharing this stuff with us later. But you know what I remember about those years? My dad had a piano. We've always had a piano in our home. And it didn't matter what we were going through or what was happening in the family. Dad was always singing. And just like it was telling Ezra and Nehemiah and them are telling the people, go out and sing the songs. Rejoice. That's why we worship. Don't you love to worship and sing and proclaim? Something about that is it's like we're training in joy. You know, like everything that you want to accomplish sometimes takes training, right? Yet we have to cultivate this. So my dad would sit down at the piano and we would sing this song over and over and over in the repetition. And maybe you guys know it, but he would sing, this is the day that the, we will and be glad in it. Oh, This is the day that the Lord has made. Yes, you know this one. Were you in that family too? No, but you sang it. But that's what I'm saying. He would sing it and we would sing it in English. And then we'd sing it again in Swedish. And then we'd sing it again in English. And it's like we were training in joy. That didn't mean things weren't going on. I remember after we were back off the mission field, and we're living in Palm Springs and um, doing life out there as a family. And we were going through some hard things. I, I stand up here and I talk about my rich heritage and my beautiful family. And my parents are godly people. Fear the Lord and honor him. But we went through some things just in our own family of origin right there. We had uh, my, uh, someone facing thoughts of suicide. Um, Some of my siblings, I won't name any names, they're like, you better not call me out. Everyone's free and delivered now. But um, uh, juvenile hall, shoplifting, drugs, an abortion, like just, I mean, my parents, this was stuff they were going through. And you know what never stopped? My dad was still out there on his piano, singing the songs, praising the Lord. And God has been his firm foundation year after year after year. And he has never lost the joy because his joy is not dependent on his circumstances. So how can you lose it? 
It's based on Jesus, and he's always good, and he's always wonderful. The Lord is faithful. Amen? There was strength in that team in the book of Nehemiah because they practiced joy, and there was strength in my household to overcome because we cultivated joy because we were trained in joy. Anna Hayford, she's a uh, Pastor Jack Hayford, great Foursquare pastor, leader, songwriter. He has gone to be with the Lord recently. And I remember hearing his wife say, Anna Hayford say, um, someone had told her, when your kids are little, make sure they're laughing hard out loud every day because it'll store up resilience in them for later in life. Because what does the Bible say? Laughter doeth good like medicine. This is like a healing bomb. This, the Lord is brilliant. I, just, I mean, to say like he puts a laughter, doeth good, laugh and you'll heal. Like he knows what joy does and he knows what sorrow does. That's why he says it lasts for a night, but don't let that thing linger around. You need to be in the joy of the Lord. So I remember thinking it's easy to get little kids to laugh hard out loud. You just make some awkward noises <laughs> and, and they'll laugh, but it gets harder when you have teenagers and things are happening, and it gets even harder for us as grown-ups, the grown-up people, to just really have that joy. Life just has a way sometimes of wanting to knock it out of you, but the Lord is commanding us. I want you to rejoice. I want you to sing the songs. I want you to dance the dance. I want you to go out and eat the foods you love. That's what they said, eat the foods you love, be with the people you love, enjoy me, first of all. Do you enjoy being Part of the Lord's family, I know I sure do. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. The Lord is speaking. The final thing I want to say is, when joy is full in you, you won't be tempted by the bait that Satan brings of much lesser loves. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to eat like at a good restaurant and you go in starving. You're so hungry. And then you don't eat your whole meal, so you get your little doggy bag or your to-go food. And then I'll leave and forget it at the table because I'm not hungry. I'm not thinking about food. I'm satisfied. Same thing when no one like eats Thanksgiving dinner and then pushes away from the Thanksgiving table and says, you know what sounds good right now? Food. No, you're satisfied. You're full. You're not tempted by anything else because you're satisfied. It's the same way um, for us as believers. It's hard for Satan to tempt a joyful believer with empty pleasures of this world, that, that we're so satisfied in the Lord, that his joy is so complete in us, that you, you look, people try to offer you things, you say, that is nothing to what I'm experiencing. That is, doesn't even compare to the joy I experience. Doesn't mean it's problem-free. Doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble. But we all have trouble. Someone here needs to know that. You think if I could just perfect everything and be good that I'll never have sorrow. Eh. This is why we have the word so that we know the joy is going to strengthen you to get through any trouble. But you don't just get like a exemption. We would like that. We would like that, but that's not the way it is. But he gives us something better. He gives them us himself and he gives us the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us and constantly provoke our hearts to joy. I'm telling you, 
We're supposed to be the most joyful people in any room. I want to pray for you. I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to go out of here singing. I'm sorry, but, you know, sometimes we have like a, you know, kind of like a, a melodic, you know, nice closing out. We're singing out of here. We're going to cultivate and train and joy today to be just worshiping. But Lord, I just, in the presence of this atmosphere, God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, you want to restore joy. God is saying, I, I love these people, Anna. I know. It's like, it's like I have my ear mic in. He's saying, I love them. Tell them I love them. I love him so much. He is so for your joy. Someone here, God is just touching you right now. Your joy is just filling up. Your gauge on your dashboard of joy is just, oh, it's just like going to full right now like this. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Have you heard the word? Receive it with gladness today. And then with some people, as we talk about the family of God, you say, I've been in church. I've been coming in and out. I've never made the decision to make him my father, but I need him. I need to be a part of this family. I need the joy of the Lord that strengthens me. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to invite anyone in this room to come home to Father God right now that's you and you're in this room and you need to return to the Lord or come home for the first time, raise your hand right where you are. I see all these hands. I see hands all over the room. Thank you, Lord. We're going to pray a prayer over you and everyone's going to say it together with you. You're not alone. You're in the family of God. It's like the barren woman, more children than the woman who bore. That's what God is going to do for you and the family. So everyone together, for the sake of those who raise their hands, dear Lord, forgive me of finding my joy in lesser places. I'm returning to the Lord. Cleanse me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Fill me with your joy today. Be Lord of my life. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.